Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Sam's Report. It is uh, almost my birthday, July 28th. Um, yeah, this month is over. My birthday is on Sunday. I'm golfing twice this weekend, which is going to be a wonderful weekend. My wife is not too pleased about that, but it's uh, my birthday. So you know what? I can do whatever I want because that's how the song goes, right? You can cry if you want to, if you can do whatever you want to. Uh, but anyways, one of the more important things besides my... Uh, another another successful revolution around the sun. Lots of Microsoft news this week. Lots of other interesting things going on. Ton of questions for the show this week. Very much appreciated as always. And so let's just dive in, shall we? The biggest news and best news of the week, depending on which side of the coin you're on, is Adobe announced that they're killing Flash by 2020. Uh, on the other side, Adobe is keeping Flash alive until 2020. But uh, considering how deeply embedded Flash was into the world of the internet. It's not so surprising that it's going to take them time to fully remove it uh, fr from, you know, basically the ecosystem. It's going to take time. But there you go. Adobe is finally getting a Flash. Steve Jobs is right again, but not really because he said that Flash was dead a long time ago. Uh, and as we all know, that wasn't really true. HTML5 really did take over, but there you go. That is going away. Uh, big things in the world of the enterprise stuff for Microsoft. So this week, Azure Container Instances were launched uh, in in public preview, I guess is the, the proper way to call it. I was going to say beta, but whatever. So if this doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. But here's kind of the big thing. So containers are huge. People love containers. Containers are, and I know somebody's going to correct me about this, but, you know, in a nutshell here, containers are kind of like the next step in virtualization, right? So for a while, it was like, okay, you know what? You run all your, your server on, on bare metal. And then it's like, you know what? Bare metal is actually really capable stuff now. And now you can run two virtualized servers on that same bare metal. And now people are kind of moving to and saying, you know what? You can run a bunch of containers without that virtualization layer. And it's it's really good stuff. And containers are, are blowing up in a big way. And what's really fascinating about this is, one, Microsoft is billing by the second on this. So if you, when you shut it down, you're done paying. It's not like you pay for... Uh, a, a living instance, as some people call it. I mean, it's it's alive and dead very quickly on the second billing. And the other thing that's really interesting about this is that Microsoft is actually launching support for Linux only first. Windows isn't ready, but they're like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to kick it out the door, which is totally nuts because this is Microsoft pushing Linux over their own Windows software. But at the same time, you're using Azure, so they're already getting the win because you're paying for money for that. But it, to me, it's just showing the complete up here, uh, like like they've turned the mountain over on you know priorities and things it's like you know what the, the product is ready for public preview screw it we'll launch it without support for windows go back 10 years and say microsoft is going to launch a enterprise service that that is not ready for windows yet but ready for linux that's nuts but you know what here we are uh linux support is coming first it, it, it's really just showing that microsoft wants everybody in azure and they don't care what you are using to get there which makes sense because you're giving them money anyways and so windows support will be coming in a little bit but linux preview available now that's azure container instances uh other things that came out a report from spiceworks who does this every quarter i don't write about it every quarter because it's not always uh, it's not always i don't know just appropriate but we are coming up on the two-year launch of uh, Windows 10, I think it was it July 29th, I think sounds about right. So we are almost exactly two years after launch. And basically this company surveyed a whole bunch of people in the enterprise, uh, over 500 different people and just kind of giving a little sampling of the waters. And so what they found is that over 60% of businesses have installed Windows 10 on at least one machine. And now what that means is that, hey, these companies are at least trying it out, but 
the rest of the report kind of says, yeah, but they're not really using it yet. And so how do we know that? Because 68% of corporate machines, this is all machines, are still running Windows 7. So despite the fact that a lot of companies are trying Windows 10, the bulk of them are still using Windows 7. Uh, Two-thirds. Two-thirds of companies are still running Windows 7 as their primary operating system. And so... Yeah, it, Microsoft is going to have a really tough time here because in the year 2020 is when Windows 7 is done, right? That's when Microsoft keeps saying, hey, Windows 7 is done in 2020. Now, that sounds like a really far off time, but that's about two and a half years from now. And to consider that two thirds of business machines are running Windows 7 to migrate, that's literally hundreds of millions of machines still, hundreds of millions. I don't think it would cross a billion but it literally but it's easily hundreds of millions of machines are running windows 7 to migrate all those users off of windows 7 in two and a half years is going to be really tough unless the, all those companies are really far down the line of their migration process of testing and considering that only 60 percent are are testing it right now that means about 40 percent are just kind of like well what's going even going on I think Microsoft is going to have a huge issue getting people off Windows 7. I know I'm not the first to say this. This isn't any groundbreaking information, but this puts a little bit of numbers behind the actual perspective of how difficult this challenge is going to be. Microsoft keeps telling me time and time again, they're not extending the life cycle of Windows 7, but they also told me time and time again, they were not going to release patches for Windows XP after the support life cycle ended. I honestly suspect that they will have to do something. Something's going to have to give. And I, I don't quite know how they're going to do it or how they're going to frame it or what's going to go on. But of course, they're going to tell us that today. But when when we get closer to 2020, I bet there's still quite a few people running Windows 7 in the enterprise world. So there you go. That is that. So other kind of Windows-y things going on right now. Microsoft yesterday released Windows 10S to MSDN users. And so this is kind of good because if you remember back at the education event, Microsoft said they would make Windows 10S available to education before the launch of the school year. And so here you go. It's now at least available for testing. And so you can deploy this. I actually put it on this Surface Pro back here. And I'm, I'm going to use it for a little bit. I'm not really expecting any groundbreaking surprises, but I didn't have any machines with Windows uh, 10S on it. And so now I do and kind of play around with that stuff. Be curious to see if any educations actually, any, any educations, any schools do adopt this. Here's one of the funny kind of, this is the perfect Microsoft-ism, if you will. So Microsoft at the education event pushed Microsoft Teams. They said, hey, this is great. This is good for the classroom. It's perfect size, which I do agree. I don't disagree with that. And then they said, you know what, Windows 10S, also perfect for the classroom. Guess what doesn't run on Windows 10S? That's Teams. Now, it, Teams does run in the browser, but there's no app. There's no store app. Uh, there is a desktop app for Windows Teams that runs perfectly fine on Windows 10 Pro or Windows 7, but you can't run that on Windows 10S. So it has to be done in a browser. It's just, this is just a perfect Microsoft thing that they do. So, uh Keep that stuff in mind as life goes on. Other, you know, this is this is perfect reason why um, I'll toot my own horn. Why you should listen to me uh, or Paul or anybody else who really knows the Microsoft world. Uh, you know, including Tom, who was in the chat room earlier, and Mary Jo. So, uh, on earlier this week, headlines ran across all across the web that says, "Hey, Microsoft is killing off Paint, and it's not going to be in the next update of Windows." Uh, but, 
I know where this information came from. It came from a list of deprecated and removed features. Somebody looked at it and said, oh, Microsoft said Paint is deprecated. That means it's dead. And no, it doesn't. And so we were just sitting there wondering why this was blowing up. I mean, it was written all over, like large publications like The Guardian. I think the BBC was even in on it saying Paint is dead. But nobody really understands what the word deprecated means. And what it means is that it would eventually be gone from Windows. But then Microsoft was like, whoa, 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 back the, back the death train up a little bit here. And they came out and said, no, Paint really isn't dying. What they're going to do is they're going to move it to the store eventually. And there you go. So uh, Paint... Schrodinger's paint here, it's neither dead nor alive. Uh, because it's not going to get any more updates. That's kind of where the deprecation comes in. Is that, hey, it, we're not giving it any more features. So there you go. Uh, other things Microsoft announced this week. Microsoft is killing off Windows 10 1511 on October 10th. Basically, that 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 version of Windows, which releases, was released in November of 2015, will no longer receive updates, uh, patches, or supports, or any of that good stuff uh, starting in October. Can't imagine too many people, especially listening to this podcast, are running it. It's going to be more of an enterprise issue, people running it. But if you're running that, you've got until October to get your butt off of it. And the other thing Microsoft announced in that same post is that 1703, which is the creator's update, they're not saying, hey, it's available to everybody, which... I, okay, is good. Um, I still don't have it on this desktop machine. I've tried, I keep searching for updates. I don't want to do it during this podcast because it would be perfect timing for that to then download and kill my uh, bitrate here or my bandwidth. But I don't have it on this machine yet, but go check if you haven't gotten it yet. There's a good chance that it should be available now, hopefully. And so that is that. All right. Uh, this is kind of the bigger announcement. It goes back to the enterprise stuff, but I think it has pretty far reaching effects. Microsoft is changing the servicing branch or servicing model for Windows 10 again. And so for those keeping score at home, this is the third time that Microsoft has done this. So when Windows 10 launched, it, they could push an update at any point. It could be November. They could push it in the spring. They did one in July. Uh, and then they said, okay, that does, that's a little crazy. It's kind of hard to keep track of that. And they said, okay, so we're going to align it to the Office releases. And so then they agreed to... There's going to be one in the spring, roughly March, and one in September. And that was it. And then they said, you know what? We're going to change it up even more. And so here's the change. Currently, we'll just say as of today, not, not assuming the new model, what Microsoft does is they release a new build. So they release 1703. And then roughly four months later, they would promote it from what's called current branch to current branch for business. And when they do that, that's Microsoft officially signing off and saying, okay, this is ready for the corporate world. And what they're doing now is they're getting rid of the current branch and the current branch for business. And they're just going to what's called semi-annual channel, which was previously the current branch. And then long-term servicing branch, which is now called long-term servicing channel. What they're doing is getting rid of the current branch for business. And this is kind of dicey because what that current branch for business was, was really a safety net. They push it out to consumers, which will go out to hundreds of millions of people. We know there's up to 500 million. Granted, they don't all get it at the same time. But then Microsoft can look at that telemetry and say, okay, 30 million people, 40 million people are running this. There's no bugs or whatever. Uh, push it a little further. We get to 100 million. Okay, it's great. No major issues. Okay, businesses, now you can run it. And so what they're doing now is they're basically passing that burden back to the to the enterprise or the business, which granted they should have already been testing, which is maybe this is why Microsoft is doing this. They're looking and saying, okay, the company has to test it anyways. Why should we tell them to wait four months? And then they only have roughly 12 months of service support from when we promote it. And so what they're doing is they're just killing off the current branch for business. They'll have semi-annual channel and they're recommending that you begin testing it. Actually, they recommend you test it during the insider phase. 
And then you just start rolling it out once it's released and that there's no more of that current brand for business promotion. And so it's changing things up um, a little bit, but it's kind of enough that if people were dependent on that current branch for business, then yeah. And granted, I don't think this is going to affect the super large companies. I think this is going to be an issue where there's a company that says, hey, we only have 150 machines. We don't have the capacity to keep testing because IT shops are already strained as they are. And uh, I think that's where it's going to be felt the most. It's kind of that medium, small-sized business is going to be impacted by this. And so this leads me to my next point that I think Microsoft has really kind of screwed the pooch here with some of this upgrade stuff. Uh, I was talking with some people who work um, once this news came out and they, they work in the industry and they work in IT. And they said, there's a real big problem with Windows 10 that nobody's really talking about. Right now, if you are running Windows 7, you don't have to worry about major updates, right? You worry about the upgrade or the up the the patches and that kind of stuff that come up monthly. That has never changed. That has been consistent pretty much the entire life cycle of Windows, or at least the newer versions of Windows, that is. And you don't have to worry about these large updates where you have to do compatibility testing and all that good stuff. So the pitch is when you go to management and say, okay, you know what, we're gonna upgrade from seven to ten. And it's gonna take um it's gonna take eight months to do this. It's gonna take a lot of resources to get all the testing done. And then management's going to say, okay, great. Once we get on to 10, that's going to free up a lot of time, right? It's a new operating system. It should modernize things and make you more efficient, have less to do servicing Windows. But that's not the case. If you upgrade to Windows 10, you go from just dealing with monthly patches to dealing with, at most, two major updates per year. Now, you can delay or skip an update. So at least once a year, you then have to do business validation on a new version of Windows or an updated version of Windows. So, uh, yeah, like you upgrade to 10 and granted, I know you get a lot of new security stuff. I preach that, that it's a good OS. Do not disagree with that. But the problem is, is that for the IT shops that by upgrading, they're giving themselves more ongoing perpetual work. It's not like there's an end to these upgrades. It's going to be every year. They're now going to have to dedicate time, which means they don't have time or capacity, or they have to take away time from upgrading line of business applications, like their ERP software or making their, their consumer facing products work a little bit better because they're busy doing other things, maintaining windows. And I've, I haven't really said this too much, but I firmly believe people don't buy windows to make money, right? Windows is definitely an appliance that you use to do your line of business applications on top of, and you run windows because it's the safest, it's secure. It works the best in the enterprise. I don't argue that, but it's an appliance that is not generally used to drive revenue. And so when you have to divert more energy and resources to maintaining the appliance rather than maintaining either the manufacturing equipment or whatever the, the inventory systems that actually do make money, that's, that's negative downtime. And, and, some people have never heard negative and positive downtime. Bos positive downtime is you're upgrading your ERP software so you'll be more efficient and you can make sales faster. That's positive downtime. Negative downtime is your system went offline, um, Windows crashed and took everything out with it um, and all that good stuff. And so it's an interesting area for Microsoft and they got to figure that out. They really do because I've heard from people that says, hey, we don't really want to push to upgrade to 10 yet because it's going to introduce more work into our workflow. And if you've ever worked in an IT shop, they're never saying, you know what, we have too many resources and too much money. Uh, that is always the opposite of the case. So, you know, there is that. <sighs> so you can go read about that all over the web, but um, yep, yep, yep. 
other, other things Microsoft announced this week. Uh, so Redstone 3, which is coming up, the Fall Creators update, is now pretty much feature complete. Microsoft, they haven't officially said, hey, everything's done, but it's done. Um, I, I've heard that from multiple people inside. And so we also know that, too, because Microsoft released a thing or, or announced, and you can log in and sign up for it now, called Skip Ahead. And I have mixed feelings about this. So Skip Ahead basically allows you to jump to the next update, which would be the spring. So be what, 1803 update uh, and bypass the next kind of validation testing of Redstone 3. And so what this means is that you're going to be on the very leading edge of getting new builds and features coming in Redstone 4. But what you're going to lose is that stability that is now built into Redstone 3. And so from here on out, Redstone 3, all it's going to be are probably very minor updates that are bug fixes as they attempt to stabilize Windows and then get it ready to ship here in, in as little as a month. And so that's right about on time. They usually take about six weeks to do bug stabilization and smashing. And so they are getting ready for that. And so if you want, you can jump You can jump ahead. Now, here's the caveat. If you jump ahead to that next ring, you can't go back to Redstone 3. Like, if you get on that branch and you're like, ah, oh, you know what, this is too crazy for me. I don't, like, it's not stable. Everything's crashing. Life sucks. You can't go back to Redstone 3 unless you just basically wipe your entire system. So just keep that in mind. Uh, if you jump to what's called RS pre-release or skip ahead, you are you are on that roller coaster for better for worse unless you're willing to flatten your system and go back to a public release. Now, granted, if you stay on RS three, the if you don't change anything, when the creators update, fall creators update comes out, you can end your insider kind of enrollment and then just stay on that if you're looking for a path out. So keep that in mind. Other things Microsoft announced this week is that they came out with a bug bounty program for Windows 10, which is very odd to me. I thought they would just kind of have this, but if you find a security bug in Windows 10, you can ship it to Microsoft, and if they can prove and validate it, they'll give you anywhere between $500,000 and $250,000, depending on where that bug is occurring, and there's a whole bunch of different things. If you have questions or if that's your cup of tea, definitely go check that out, because you can make some money, but on the other side, why did it take Microsoft so long to get this? Better late than never, I guess, but security is a big thing for Microsoft. I honestly wonder if that they were worried there were too many bugs uh, and they didn't, they didn't want to be paying out tens of millions of dollars for this stuff. But at the same time, uh, these bugs and exploits are very valuable and very, uh, people will pay top dollar for them, especially like nation states and that kind of stuff. So I'll be curious to see if this actually improves security. It's definitely not going to hurt anything, but now Microsoft has an official way to uh do all that and so i'm gonna i'm gonna do something i've never actually said on this podcast before i'm curious uh if you are watching this smash that upvote button as stupid youtubers say actually as i'm now saying i'm curious to see if that actually improves views or not but um typically any week i get like 100 or so or whatever and i'll be curious if we can get that number higher if it'll bring more views to my little podcast world uh do it for my birthday i guess or whatever all right we got some killer good questions this week and Let's, uh, uh, let me sort them here. Da, 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 da. All right, let's dive into the reader questions this week. So Martinus V2, he says, since the fall update won't have disk image feature, any recommendations on a great disk image software, not a Cronus true image? Oh, whoops, I clicked on the wrong thread. I was like, man, that looks familiar. That is the wrong thread. Whoops. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. <laughs> totally ignore that question because I am whatever 
I am, I'm on a roll. All right, Michael Martinez asks, he says, do you foresee the new phone linking inside in the Insider Preview extending to photo sharing, opening Office documents on a larger screen and the like? It seems like there's much potential in this feature. So, all right, here, here's what he's talking about. In the latest Insider build, Microsoft is now allowing you to link your phone to your desktop PC. And some people are really against this. I don't know why, but whatever. You can now do this. And what this is, this is the beginning of what Microsoft showed off a build called Project Rome. Like imagine you're using Outlook and you're in the middle of an app and then you open Outlook on your desktop. Uh, it, it'll sync basically where you are. And I can see this going very far. Here's the here's a couple big caveats to this, this uh technology, if you want to call it that. First off, a developer has to actively build it in. For Microsoft applications, not going to be a big deal. They're obviously going to build it into all their office stuff and their um, and their email and their photo apps and Cortana and all that stuff. So a lot of the apps you're probably using, it's going to be built in Skype, I would imagine, as well. And so what he's getting at is like, do you foresee them da, 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 opening documents on a larger screen? I, I totally think they're going to go down this path. I think they have to because Microsoft is trying to position Windows as a desktop as the best companion to your mobile device, right? They already kind of missed the mobile world from a hardware perspective, but they're going to do their best to make sure that they win from a software perspective. And that's how they're going to do it is through these applications. So... Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, this will be really interesting. And Michael takes it a step further, and he's wondering if he could actually take this functionality and then send it to other devices. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, this is this is. Uh, I think we're a little early in the game about where Microsoft is taking this. They showed off the Project Rome stuff, but I think they have bigger ambitions here about how they are going to essentially try to hijack the iOS and Android world with their own applications that give you a better experience than just on the device. I think that's going to be their pitch is, hey, why run Gmail when you can run Outlook and have a better experience on both devices that you use? I think is where they're going to go with this. Uh, Philip Vista asks, do you think live tiles will ever be uh, deprecated? I know that you've opined on this a bit previously, but the discussion is very interesting. Tiles made sense on Windows Phone when it didn't have a notification center, but then they just got uh, a vestige of prior ambitions. <laughs> I fully agree. Now that they're focused on uh, their true strength, I'd like to see Microsoft take that bold thought approach about live tiles. So this is a very interesting question. Live tiles were basically Windows Phone's differentiator at the end of the day that's what it was it was you looked at these tiles you had little widgets everywhere and they're great and I, I just opened my start menu and they they work in windows 10 but i don't know how many people are using them what would make me use windows live tiles a lot more is if i could put the freaking things on my desktop that would be I, I don't know why this is such a difficult concept for microsoft but to his point i sort of agree that live tiles just living in the start menu now that phone is dead they don't make a lot of sense. And so that's probably why we, the last update they did was chaseable live tiles, which is where if you were looking at something and had a news item and you clicked it, then it would actually open the app to that. But I could see them not really doing too much with the caveat that Microsoft is working on these mobile experiences, Seashell, um, they've got some hardware floating around that are smaller. And like in a tablet-y world, I, I think they do make sense. The, the question is going to become here, where is Microsoft headed with, uh, it's smaller form factor operating systems. And so if they're going to keep that alive, they keep telling us that they're building out devices for mobile experiences or experiences for mobile devices. If they ever are going to bring that back, they need live tiles. So I don't see them killing it off anytime soon, but I could see them just letting them just sit there because 
to your point, they haven't really done a lot of it yet. Okay, uh, Tourniquet asks, hey Brett, could you please explain what Andromeda exactly is? If I was speculating, I would say Andromeda is a new Windows platform which needs certain hardware and capabilities to function, includes some more or other software components than Windows 10 Mobile already has, and adapts the C-shell in a certain way, is probably part of Redstone 4. So I don't think you're too crazy here. So there's a couple things. Andromeda, I, I, I've heard mixed things about if that's the right code name for this. It might be something slightly different that I would, I'm not fully aware of. But when you talk about Andromeda, I know exactly what you mean. Is It's this next generation mobile device that I, I believe is running on ARM64. And um, a, a really interesting thought came out. So this week, Microsoft also announced the HoloLens uh, Holo, Holographic Processing Unit 2. This is the second gen. I was wondering if they would actually try to put that thing in a Surface Mobile type device as a differentiator. I don't quite fully know how they would use it yet. It might be kind of like iOS's uh, AR kit experiences, but um, we'll see. From my understanding, Andromeda is Microsoft's next mobile ambition on an ARM platform with unique hardware. And so what kind of unique capabilities? I, I don't think there's going to be anything crazy, but really you got to think that this is going to be an open and unlocked LTE device. So it's going to be one of those things that, hey, you can take it to T-Mobile, AT&T, or Verizon and use it on their airwaves, um, but it's not going to be a carrier-specific phone because I fully believe that phones, that the actual phone part of a phone is kind of antiquated, right? I mean, how often do you actually talk on your phone? Uh, you very much could replace that capability with Skype with a Skype phone number. And so I think Microsoft is just going to build some LTE small form factor devices running a, a new user interface and they're going to be looking long-term next gen. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that device plugs in and has a continuum experience that is much, much better than what we see today. So uh, Tim, our lovely developer who actually, we posted this, uh, we were testing some things on the site, but he would like to know my thoughts on Android Windows integration. I think it's great. I mean, Microsoft is at the point where they're, they're not, it annoys me that they won't fully admit this stuff yet, but they know that Windows Mobile isn't going anywhere, right? And what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we, we're in plan D or E at this point. What can we do? And what they're trying to do is make sure that if you have an Android phone, Windows remains a vital part of that ecosystem. Microsoft wants Windows to be part of the conversation. And the way they're doing that is making sure that your desktop works best as it can in the constraints that they're given on a mobile device. Android is obviously much easier than iOS. I think this is a great thing. Um, I, I can't imagine anyone being truly upset about this. And so the, the question that keeps coming up is like, okay, it would be great if Microsoft had a browser on Android and iOS. Um, I've, I know I've said this before, but the problem with that is that Microsoft can't do it on iOS because they use their own uh, rendering engine and not WebKit. And only WebKit browsers are allowed on iOS right now because that's how Apple rolls. On Android, it's technically possible. And so I, I don't know if they're gonna come out with a mobile browser. But considering they're struggling with the desktop browser, it'd be tough for me to see them like invest it. I could see them buying uh, like Dolphin browser if that's still around or whatever, like a mobile browser that exists on both platforms and integrating it across and renaming it. But um, we will we will see there. Uh, Wonderbar asks, so he said, Brad, how was the scotch? Uh, for those who don't follow me on Twitter, uh, Paul sent me a very nice bottle of scotch. It was absolutely delicious. Um, and then he asked, why did Brad buy me scotch? Well, he bought it for my birthday. It was actually very much a surprise, but, but, um, Paul and I, you know, we share lots of things and no, it wasn't poisoned. And, uh, it was amazing. I love scotch. So, uh, Harm Jr. says, 
Uh, when you do your other podcast called First Ring Daily, you use Miracast sometimes to your TV in the background. That's correct. So this TV background, TV right here, I will occasionally use a Miracast dongle to beam an image up to it and use the mouse and on that. Uh, it says, I'm playing with a Belkin Miracast and it is crappy, uh, getting a lot of loose connections and pixelated images. I'm curious what you were using. So I am actually using the Microsoft dongle. Microsoft makes a Miracast dongle. That is what I'm using. You can't see it. Well, there you go. See that little black box on the ground back there? That's the breakout box for this TV. The reason why we bought the, this specific TV is that one cable runs up to the TV and then all of the ports are down here. And so that you can kind of see it there. The Miracast dongle is on the ground and that's where the HDMI connections are and all that good stuff. And so, um, yeah, it, it works pretty well. I don't use it all the time for the reasons you say. If you're not really close to each other, they tend to break up. Um, so, yeah, Miracast works. I, Miracast is one of those things that I was hope. I think everybody was hoping was going to take on AirPlay and just be this great technology and be everywhere. It, it's not really as widespread as I honestly thought it would have been. So, anyways... Uh, Kadupa asks, he says, Brad, have you tried using the OneDrive UWP? Yes, I have, actually. He said, in his opinion, it is garbage compared to, compared to OneDrive apps on Android and iOS. I have 40 gigs of photos and cannot browse without hanging or crashing on my Surface Pro. So, uh, he wants to know why Microsoft is ignorant about its own apps. It's because Microsoft, generally speaking, has terrible support for UWP apps in its own store. We know that because they don't, not everything there. Look how long it took Office to get there. Edge is not a UWP app. Um, granted, the calendar and mail apps are okay. I think the OneDrive UWP app exists because Microsoft mandated that, hey, you guys need to have a UWP app. If I am on a desktop and I'm using OneDrive, I'm either using browsing it through File Explorer. Uh, and then the advantage of the OneDrive app is that you can see everything. It's really just a web wrapper, I believe, at, at this point, potentially. But anyways, when I'm using OneDrive on my PC and I need to get something that's not saved locally, I always just go to OneDrive.com. So, uh, And Poncelius asks, he says, HP is certifying the Elite X3 for Verizon. Alcatel are releasing the Pro 4 in Europe. Don't they know Windows Phone is dead or is this just another bit of confusion? So I wouldn't read too much into the HP Elite X3 for Verizon. People are like, oh, Verizon's now going to carry this phone. I would be very surprised if Verizon starts carrying this phone. They might be allowing it on their networks, but I don't see them putting it in the store, especially because Verizon and Microsoft have a really bad relationship. It still goes on. And then Alcatel 4 releasing in Europe is just an awkward thing. I think they just had inventory and are trying to get rid of it. But um, I, I can't. I can't honestly advise someone to buy a Windows phone right now because the OS is not getting any more updates. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and then Lynn, Lynn Hartson asks, he says, uh, let's see here. Any idea what the next version of Windows 10 will be called 2018? No. Uh, Microsoft generally doesn't name these things until very close to the end. Every time. The creator's update, I know I've said this on the show before, but I think the fall creators update got renamed very close to the last minute and marketing things like that don't materialize until very, very, very close to the end. And so I have no idea. I would love it. I would be very sad and disappointed if it's called the productivity update uh, or the creators update. But um, are, I had heard the name productivity update, but I, I don't think that's going to be it. At least I hope not. Um, and I'll be pretty sad if they call it a creator's update spring version, version two, that would be, um, anyways, anyways, um, tip of the week guys, you know, go check and see if you can get the creator's update. Now you very well might be able to, 
Um, yeah. And so as Frank asks, uh, Amplify HD, uh, my review is up on Threat.com. Uh, love it. Rock solid wireless. Although I will tell you, Frank, I'm not running on wireless today. I, this machine is my dedicated computer and it is always hardwired uh, because I want the max broadband connectivity that I can get. But um, Amplify HD, it's a wireless mesh system. I have no real issues with it other than the fact that it does not support a NAS device. If you have a USB hard drive, uh, you can't plug it in yet. It'll put your device into a boot loop. But besides that, uh, it, it's a great it's a great thing. It fixed all my dead spots. That TV back there can now get onto the internet and I can stream things to it. And that's about it. So... Uh, that's about it for this week, guys. As always, appreciate you tuning in. I will be right back here next week, provided I survive my birthday and uh, uh, all the golf this weekend. But um, as always, have yourselves a wonderful weekend. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>